0: Hi, guys. My name is Francesca, and I'm the founder of the Inspiring My Generation Foundation. And today I'm here with Megan Fahey, who is a holistic nutritionist. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself
1: and why you became a holistic nutritionist? sure so um i decided to do when i did my master's in nutrition i decided to go out to the west coast i grew up in connecticut and i moved out to seattle to go to bastier which had a really integrative program and I was studying alongside acupuncturists and naturopaths, and I just loved this idea of really using food um, in the nutrition work, which sounds crazy, but a lot of nutrition programs are really clinically based, so like really kind of more hospital focused, um, and while I was out in Seattle, I started working with a dietitian who had a practice who specialized in eating disorders, um, and I just loved like the nutrition counseling aspect of her work. And so that I really brought that back with me when I came to the East coast. And, um, I worked for a while for about three years in a residential program for eating disorders with both adolescents and adults. Um, and now in my private practice, I primarily work with women who are healing their relationships with food. And I really, in um, utilize that integrative approach in helping to heal from the eating disorder. And I find that it's just so helpful um, to really get connected again with your body um, and understand just how that relationship to food um, can really shift in a way that feels really supportive. I love that. I think a lot of people don't realize with eating disorders
0: and with eating in general, it can cause a major disconnection between who we are and the world around us. And food can really serve as a connection, not only to ourselves, but to other people. So when we're struggling with an eating disorder, it can be really difficult to kind of be ourselves and let alone build relationships with others.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love how you said that. It's interesting. One of my favorite prompts to kind of work through with clients is this idea of like, how is your relationship to food a metaphor um, for your relationship to people, to money, to um, like you're describing to your life at large. And I often will describe, especially for a new client, like your plate is this microcosm of your world. So the way that you're interacting with food, the way that you're feeding yourself, which is really... Really like our first primal connection, you know, with a mother or with the world is through food. So, there definitely is such a um, such a close connection there. And what you're describing, I think that's my favorite part of the work is. Um, it's not just about shifting your relationship to food. Ultimately, there are really huge changes that occur in a woman's life, whether it's in her relationships with her partner or her family, um, her job, like there's so many other pieces that we don't even realize that are connected, um, whether it's to that restriction or to the binging Or like there is such an interesting um, connection there. So I love how you just described that. Thank you. And I love the way you described it because it's so true. A lot of times eating disorders
0: and just eating patterns and behaviors result as kind of a way to control our lives or if we're really sad, we might overindulge to kind of fill that void. So it doesn't have as much to do with the food itself versus the relationship we have with ourselves and how we're feeling.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's interesting because one of the questions that I'm often asked is like, how would you distinguish, you know, a quote unquote eating disorder from just disordered patterns of eating, which unfortunately are so common um, in our culture because we have such a kind of disordered culture around food? And the thing that I really look at with clients, first of all, it's, I think it's such a spectrum, but one of the things I really explore is that idea of like, it's once food becomes an emotional management technique. So that really then is what I would identify a need for some of the work, like some of the work that I do or working with a therapist. Um, like once food starts to play that emotional role for you, <clears throat> excuse me, that's where it really then is, is spilling over to that disordered side.
0: So what are some of the common like disordered eating patterns that you
1: see? <clears throat> It's interesting. I would say, I would say primarily what I'm working with is some sort of a restrict binge cycle. Um, And the interesting thing is, I find that the restriction, we don't feel, we don't process it in a way that that's distressing. There's such a cultural reinforcement for restriction being quote unquote good or the thing that you're aiming for. So the tendency is that someone will seek out my work when they're like, I'm binging and I don't know why I'm feeling this loss of control or I'm feeling frantic around certain foods. And that is really distressing to me. So what's interesting is really helping someone understand. I often use the analogy of like a bow and arrow, the tighter you're pulling back, the farther that arrow is going to fly. And so the restriction really being the root of that sense of loss of control or the binging. But what's interesting is it could either be physical. So like I'm physically restricting myself from certain foods or it could be just mental. So oftentimes clients will say to me, but I'm having these foods, or I'm having these binge episodes every day. I'm having this kind of last supper experience with food every single day. How could that be restriction? Because mentally you're in this place of like, I don't want to allow myself this experience. So oftentimes, regardless of what is happening on the surface, at the root of it is exactly what you said, this sense of self-worth, this worthiness of the food, and how that restriction to it often drives a lot of the behaviors that you're seeing on the surface, whether it's overt restriction or it's more of a binge pattern or binge purge pattern. I love the way
0: you describe that because restriction is really glamorized in today's society. Totally. You go online on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter, and there's all these how you eat twelve hundred calories in a day, how you eat hundred thousand calories in a day, and that's not a sustainable amount, and people are aiming for that very low calorie deficit in order to fit society's norms because people think twelve hundred calories a day is normal and it's oh. normal for a child and infant, but it's not normal as an adult. It's not sustainable.
1: Exactly. It's interesting because I even often when I tell people what I do just at large, like my Uber driver, for example, the other day, and it's like, well, how many calories do you tell people? And I'm like, oh gosh, we're really missing the boat on what our relationship to food should be, even by putting a number on food putting labels on packages like there's such we're already setting it up to feel restrictive with portion sizes it's like we have such a disconnect with this idea that our bodies were inherently designed to direct that, like we were born with a body that tells us with hunger fullness, like when you want something, what you want, if you're really listening and then when you're full Um, and we have such like, we've really disconnected from the body and we're only living in our minds, like calculating numbers or asking a professional to tell us what to eat. You know, even that I tell clients, like, I don't have authority over your body. I can help give you a roadmap and guide you back. But at the end of the day, it's you who has to listen to those cues and figure out well what portion does feel good for me um, one of the pieces that I think is so important is when I'm working with a client you know who maybe this has been a chronic dieter or someone who feels like this disordered pattern maybe was taught to me as a child one of the really helpful places to start is kind of laying a foundation of timing so the first thing I work on with clients Is has nothing to do with numbers or portion sizes, but it has to do with eating every three to four hours. And what you're doing is you're resetting both physiologically digestion, that rhythm of digestion, but you're also resetting your body's trust in its hunger fullness to really start to reset those cues. So that being the most appropriate way to go into it, as opposed to what you're saying, like putting some arbitrary number on your food. And what's really interesting, working in a residential program, which I would argue, aside from a hospital, is like the most controlled environment, right? Like I know exactly what a client is eating. We are weighing them throughout the week. One of the really interesting experiences for me is seeing in that environment, how different um, the cal- how the calorie needs are for all of my clients. Like it's so hard to say what someone needs. And the other thing is that through the process, it's actually expected that your metabolism will change. Part of that is the healing. So when you're really starving the body metabolically, you're going to be suppressed because you don't have enough fuel or energy to fuel. Your Your metabolism. So that's another piece is like, okay, 1200 calories, but like, what about when you're refeeding? What about, you know, there's so many physiological changes happening. Like I, I, I feel like if there's one thing for women to understand, it's like, no one could ever tell you a number, without knowing you, working with you, understanding your body. And yes, I agree. 1200 is like so insanely low, but, um, but yeah, it was interesting to have, you know, I would have 12 clients at a time and to see how every body was so different and how their needs were changing. So, um, so that's typically my approach is like, Let's work on resetting the timing in which you're feeding yourself. From there, you've laid a foundation to then really work with a woman on like, okay, what is my hunger feeling like? When do I feel full? What am I craving? That's then how you kind of like flesh out or build up um, what the meal plan can look like.
0: I love that. I love the how do you feel when you're eating? Because we don't listen to our bodies enough when we're eating. Yeah. We listen to what society's telling us we should eat, what we shouldn't eat. Yeah. And all these fad diets that are like, don't eat carbs, don't eat sugar, don't eat this, don't eat that. And we never pay attention to our body and how it feels. And just because vegetables are full of nutrition and good doesn't mean every vegetable is going to be good for you and your body. And it's going to make you feel good. Yeah. And just like with chocolate, some people can't have chocolate. Some people, a little bit of chocolate can change their attitude for the entire day. So just yeah. because something sounds like it's good or bad based on the fad diets or the way society is telling you doesn't mean that that's what's right for your body. All of our bodies are different. All of our mindsets are different. All of our energy levels are different. Yeah. So connecting with ourselves and paying attention to the relationship we build with food is so, so important. Yeah. And that's why asking ourselves how we feel with these intuitive eating practices are so important. So what are some of the intuitive eating practices that you like recommend to clients?
1: Um, I would, oh, sorry, just had a little pop-up. Let me get rid of it. Um, I would say one of the first places where I'm starting is going back to childhood to start to unravel these beliefs that we've picked up from culture, from family. Um, oftentimes, you'll see this intergenerational connection where our mother, you know, being that f- First, like we were saying in the beginning, this really primal connection to food and nurturing that connection with our mother being one to go back to how her relationship to food was like really starting by unraveling some of those beliefs is, is my first step because while you're reframing these thoughts, like you were just sharing, you know, there's all these fad diets, all these rules, like we're saturated with this restrictive culture. So in order to start reframing these thoughts, I find it really helpful to just go back and unravel from the beginning. Like when did I, what what are my earliest beliefs about food? What are my earliest experiences about my body even? Like, did I feel like my body was okay? Did I feel well Welcome. Did my hunger feel welcome? That's such a big one. This sense that women have of like, you know, I'll often work with clients and they're like, I got to an age where I started to get reinforcement that my hunger was not okay, or it was too big, or my appetite was too, too much. There was something about me that needed to be restricted or suppressed. And getting back to that place and really starting to reframe that again coming back to that sense of self-worth is a really big piece with becoming then more intuitive because really that intuitive piece is is listening like you said listening to the body but how can you start to listen if you're still holding on to all of these beliefs that there's something wrong with my body or there's something wrong with my hunger so that i th- think in my work, that's where I see the shifts start to happen. When a client is able to make these connections with like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I picked up all of these beliefs from my mom. And I hate to just say mom, because it could be anyone, but the the piece with the mother is more just that nurturing piece and that feminine connection. Um, And really when we look at our mothers, it's like they were doing what they were taught. You know, they were taught to keep themselves small, or to keep their appetite suppressed, or would reject aspects of their body. So, um, so I mean it in the most loving way. But um, yeah, I think that is is one of the most integral pieces. And then from there. I take, and I kind of adopted this from some of the work um, in Ayurveda that I was exposed to in grad school, but I try to really implement seasonal eating and this cyclical style of eating um, as a way, kind of as that roadmap. map that we were talking about to help someone understand, like, it's not only how my body feels, but it's how my body feels kind of in the context of my environment. So really helping a woman start to tune in in that way. Okay. Temperature being meaningful. Like if it's really hot outside, I'm choosing cooling foods. If it's the dead of winter, I'm choosing something really warming, bringing in spices to kind of, um, create that balance. Like that, is what I found helps a woman really start to feel the difference. Oh, wow. Okay. Just because like you were saying earlier, just because I thought salads were, you know, quote unquote, healthy, maybe in the winter, I was feeling really burned out. And it was feeling supportive in my body to eat all of these cold raw foods all day. Um, So things like that, I think shifting your thought patterns, you know, that were rooted from childhood, and then also helping someone understand like, okay, yes, the end goal is to be intuitive, but what are some of the tools I can give you to help get reconnected? Um, and I love that kind of seasonal style to help. I find it's the, one of the most efficient ways to help a woman really start to notice shifts and just how the food feels for her and how grounding it can feel.
0: I absolutely love that because it's so true when you're eating salads all the time or just a bunch of cold, raw food and it's yeah outside, your body isn't really isn't going to feel its best. you're going to feel cold inside you're feeling cold in the environment you don't get any of that warmth and kind of that's a little bit of support that you need and the way we eat truly affects everything around us yeah it doesn't just affect our weight and our body shape which is what a lot of people think it affects yeah. the way we think it affects our mindset it affects our energy levels it affects who we are as a person there's so much <sighs> more to our relationship with food than people see. And that's why intuitive eating practices and even the seasonal eating practices can play such an important role in who we
1: are and how we connect with the world around us. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it's interesting because some of the things I'll look at, I, I often will use like a symptom tracker. That's a really holistic, um, symptom tracker. So it goes from everything from digestively. How are you feeling, um, in your gut? How frequently are you going to the bathroom? Do you have any nausea to, um, anxiety to focus brain fog? Um, so there's all of these aspects to the symptom tracker that I love using because, of what you're saying like getting tuned into all of the little nuances um kind of these nuanced ways that food impacts us exactly like it's not just about how we look it's really it was always meant to be about how we feel um but i i will say i find First of all, um, it's so hard. We're so um, conditioned to focus on appearance and food's relationship to appearance that it's hard to make that shift. But I find that the more you can just put that on the back burner as you're starting to engage in this work, the better able you are to connect with how does it feel as opposed to how do I look? Um, And sometimes in the beginning, there is a lot of bliss. Loading that goes along with just like that digestive reset. Um, I work, um, there's a couple integrative um, doctors who I work with who do a really nice job working with eating disordered patients, helping with SIBO and just like really helping to, um, target that bloating. But there are aspects of that kind of physical piece that are uncomfortable during this process. So if we were only focused on appearance, like you might jump ship right away, like, oh gosh, I don't want to, I don't want to have to experience that. So, um, yeah. So I think that that shift is such an important one.
0: And going back to what you said before about how our relationship with food really comes from our childhood and what we're taught. And a lot of times um, when young girls are eating and we start to like overeat and we like explore how much we like food, a lot of times people say, oh, a lady doesn't eat that much. You know, you can't eat that second portion. Yeah. i that one thing, you know, one portion, one small portion has to be a salad. It has to be something light and healthy because that's what females eat versus men can eat. 10 hamburgers, and that's fine. So a lot of times, different things that we say to yeah. our kids, to our nieces, to our friends, to our families, to our cousins, to whoever, really plays such an important role in the way they continue with food and the relationship with food and themselves throughout their lives. And a lot of people don't realize that. It really starts with the way we first approach kids eating
1: and how they yeah. Yeah. It's interesting we had um I was working with a group of clients at one point and one of the things we were exploring is that idea of like a gendered approach to, um, like a masculine feminine approach to food and how in the media, even, um, like one of the episodes of friends we used as an example of like, okay, the men are eating, like you said, like burgers or pizza, the women are all eating salads. So it's like, it's both verbal and subliminal messaging around like this constant reinforcement of like, yours is a little bit more restrictive. Yours should look like this as a woman. So um yeah it's so we're just so saturated it's like the air we're breathing so sometimes in this process you really feel like i'm bre- i'm swimming upstream you know because it's just really kind of all around us um yeah that reinforcement it's so frustrating to me that that's the hardest part is really kind of helping someone break out of that mold. And it's hard to, to really convince someone, you know, like, I know that this is the way that you've been taught your whole life and you've been working so hard to try to fit this mold. Um, but that was never meant to be um, the way you, you took care of yourself. You know, it was never meant to be so restrictive. Um, yeah. That's, that's the most frustrating part for me.
0: Yeah, it makes sense because when you know that it can help somebody to be able to see food for what it is and as a way to kind of give us the nutrients and energy that we need and not as a way to control our lives and control who we are and what we look like and how others perceive us, it can be such a difficult thing to teach someone because, we, like you said, with friends and the media there's so many TV shows and movies where it's like the women might smell a food and then throw it out. You know, they're not going to eat it because men don't eat. And a lot of times they make it like a joke, but that's a serious issue that many men and women grow up with feeling like they can't eat and yeah. it's eat. And the television that they're watching growing up is reinforcing that. So not only are our families teaching us that and our friends and even like schools with the portions that they give kids, and even like Lunchables, the tiny little portions that kids get, like those two little pizzas, I know. For lunch. that's not lunch, that's a snack. That's maybe part of your lunch, but everything. And then the media, the television, movies, everything's teaching kids that you have to restrict. Yeah. You can't eat a lot of food. You can't eat until you're full. You can't eat until your body feels better. You have to eat until this tiny amount and then that's it. Yeah. You grow up with that overwhelming fear of eating? And when they start to eat, how will their bodies change? Am I going to be rejected by society for starting to eat?
1: You know, it's interesting because as you're saying that, one of, I think the most powerful aspects of this process that I share with clients is like, it's like emotion. You can't just restrict the negative emotion. You suppress it all. So if you're going to dampen the negative, you're also dampening the positive positive. and hunger. You can use in a really similar lens. Like you cannot just starve physical hunger. So when you are starving, you are quite literally starving all of your desire, your personality. There's there, you become this hollow shell of yourself. And that's the piece. That's the buy-in that I'll get is like, I don't want to, I, I no longer want to feel like a starved version of myself. I want to feel fulfilled in my life. And so I'm going to try to work on feeling fulfilled with my food as a way to do that. And what, you know, where we started with this idea of like how food is so connected with how we show up in the world, that shift is the most incredible for me to see is like, this woman come back into herself and how badly we need that. Like, I feel like our culture is like starving for women's voices, women's stories, women's presence. And so it's like with starving your hunger there's so much more you're restricting to yourself, um, but that can be scary. You know, it's scary to think like, "Wow, when I start feeding myself, maybe I'll be just a this this fuller version and really have to take up more space in myself." Um, so yeah, it's just it's a really powerful process, but. I think that's such an important thing to keep coming back to. Like, I can't spend every single day just starving myself and live a fulfilled life. First of all, your thoughts physiologically are always going to be focused on food. When you're hungry, the only thing your body cares about is feeding itself. That's how we were designed. So you don't have the mental capacity to really show up for anything else when you're just hungry all the time. Um, But yeah, it's just that idea of like hunger not being okay um, for, for a woman. And, and you, I, I like how you said that, you know, we're using gender really, um, kind of in a traditional sense, but, but I've absolutely worked with male clients who have the same experience, but it just tends to be a more feminine, um, kind of presentation, like you said, in the media and everything.
0: Yeah. And I love the
1: way you say that because
0: it is so powerful the way the world teaches us to suppress our energy, suppress who we yeah. are females, and then suppress the way we're eating and restrict ourselves. And then when we start to kind of come into our own, there's a lot of voices that kind of drown us out. Yes. And discovering who we are at our core is, can be so scary because we were never able to be that person. Yeah, We've always taught to live in fear of that person without even realizing yeah. it. And that's why restricting us in our food and our bodies, what we need to look like kind of keeps us at bay. It keeps yeah. us discovering who we are every time women start to really move ahead in life and kind of in the world and things change and better things happen and women start to have more leadership positions we see that there's always something new that comes out that kind of pulls us back and restricts us whether they change the way sizing works whether they add this new fad diet that women have to look a certain way or body shape suddenly has to change it goes from, you have to be so thin to all of a sudden you have to have these big curves. Then you have to have the butt, you have to have the boobs. Like it always changes. So crazy, women, I know. Whenever women are starting to move forward, all these things change and we don't realize it because we're so caught up in being the perfect version that society is telling us to be. Meanwhile, it feels like it's a way to distract us from achieving who we are at our core
1: and becoming the best version of ourselves and moving forward. Yeah, I just had a client say to me last night, you know, we were exploring this idea of perfectionism, which is so, um, just insidious, um, but, but plays such a big role in, in disordered eating. But she said, you know, I never thought I was a perfectionist because I was never perfect. And we really are, there's such a suffocating perfectionist kind of focus that's especially, I think, um, or like a lens that's so zoned in on women. Um, Yeah, it's like maddening. When you were describing that, um, Christy Harrison's book, Anti-Diet, she does a really lovely job just kind of talking through that. Like this idea of how... diets play a much larger cultural role than just like making your one body smaller or whatever the focus is. So um, I definitely recommend reading her book to to just get a little bit deeper into that idea. Um, And she, it's a nice start introduction, even to just this idea of like, how do I start to look at diet, diet culture from a different lens?
0: I love that. I need to make sure I read that book. Will you send me the name of the book? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And I love the way that you've talked this whole time about intuitive eating and how we feel when we're eating and how food is all about our energy and how we're feeling. And when we go into the holidays, there's all this added stress. There's all this added pressure. You know, we have all this food that we normally don't eat in front of us. And A lot of times our disordered eating behaviors and patterns tend to present themselves, right? So we kind of restrict ourselves and start starving ourselves more and more as holidays lead up so that we can eat that meal. Or after we eat that meal, we starve for a couple months so that we can feel good again. So what are some good intuitive eating practices that women can use during the holidays to really counter that and not go through that? We have to starve before and after so that we can enjoy that piece of pie.
1: Yeah. Oh, such a good question. It's that like, um, it's that compensatory. It's interesting because compensation is actually like one of the things I would ask someone who has an eating disorder. So are you compensating for your food? are you starving? Are you purging? Are you exercising? And again, it's like, it's so accepted in our culture. And you had mentioned earlier, like even jokes that you'll hear about, or like just kind of flippant comments that are so hurtful, harmful, but, um, so a couple things. I think one piece is, um, one of the pieces that I talk with clients about is food value. So yes, nutritional value is one aspect to food, but we've evolved with taste buds. Like there's a reason for enjoying our food, whether it's taste value or the connection. So there's such a social connection around food and the holidays are really That's what it's about. It's not about the nutri- like choosing the perfect nutritional valued food, it's about connecting through food. Um, you know, it's such an expression of love in, in every culture. Food is so foundational, so um, that's one of the ways to help just shift the way that your perception is going into the holidays. Let me start to look at the other values um, around this experience that aren't just about the food itself. Um, that can- sometimes help free up some space to just enjoy um and not be caught in that kind of trap of okay how do I prep for this how do I then compensate um there's something about that again that goes back to worthiness like there's a there what you're enforcing for yourself is like I'm not worthy of just being part of this connection with food um so that would be kind of more that internal shift and then I would say just in the way you're interacting. Again, going back to that foundation of eating every three to four hours, like I'm not gonna be starving myself for this dinner. I'm gonna eat every three to four hours and really keep my blood sugar stable. It keeps your hormone levels stable. And then it allows you to feel present to the connection. When you're starving, you can't be present. Like all you're going to be focused on is the food and there's no taste enjoyment when you're starving for what you're eating. We've all experienced that. Like you're just trying to kind of like, Oh my gosh, I need to like refuel. Like there's no way you could slow down and enjoy that. So, um, so those would be the two things. Really try to shift your perception on the value of the experience. And then try to stay really consistent in how you're feeding yourself on those days. Um, And I think there's also a sense of permission for, you know, Ellen Sauter. I can also share this this is one of my favorite quotes, um, where she talks about normal eating and how it's normal to eat a little bit past fullness sometimes because you really love something or because it's a holiday, um, or because you're in Paris and like this croissant is not going to be the same once I get back home. So, um, so I think some of it is just permission, like letting go of that idea, that you should always be restricting. Um, But yeah, the holidays do, you know, and then coupled with the holidays is like the new year's craziness around like new year, new you, all this craziness around body there. So I think some of it is just taking it one day at a time to kind of layering your own self-care to get through it.
0: That was such incredible advice. And I think that's going to help so many people this holiday season. And I love what you said about New Year's because it's true. Half of of the population's resolution is going to be going to the gym, get in shape, get skinny, eat less. And that's not even like an exaggeration. At least 50% of the population right now is thinking next year is going to be my year. I'm going to get so thin. I'm going to eat less. I'm going to work out every day. And we see it. The gym memberships skyrocket. All of a sudden, everyone's eating healthy for a few days, for a few weeks, and then everyone's miserable by the end of January.
1: Because that's no a social existence. I know. I know. It's so, I wish, um, I don't want to say I wish. I hope that the tide is changing on this, but um, my hope is that we can start to really focus on like, how imagine starting your new year with like, how do I want to feel fulfilled? how can I feel more full in myself? Like, oh my gosh, what a different approach to the year as opposed to like, how can I make all of my needs smaller? Like, how can I restrict every last ounce of myself? Like, oh my gosh, that's an awful year. Like, how are you going to accomplish anything that feels meaningful for you? So, um, and I try to do that for myself because it's hard even doing this work, like I, I have to really be conscious about decompressing, like having that space, whether it's meditation or just like going for walks on my own without headphones, just like to decompress from all the noise and give yourself that time to just like tune back into like, okay, almost that reminder of like, no, that's not what I want like you feel kind of brainwashed sometimes. So even I do being immersed in this work every single day, like I still have to really give myself that space to remember, like, no, my goal isn't to restrict. My goal is to feel more fulfilled. Like how do I approach and coming out of 2020, my God, how is the goal that you want to diet? Like, can we like have a goal to get back to our life to like, there's so many other things that are, are more important, you know? So Um, yeah, but, but I think sometimes it's giving yourself that space from all the noise because it really easily drowns out your own, that own, um, that inner kind of your intuition, you know, that, that connection with yourself. Everything you just said was
0: absolutely incredible because it's so true. We should be starting the new year, trying to fulfill ourselves and fulfill our goals, our dreams, our accomplishments, and be better and do better. And a lot of times we use the holidays and new years as a way to restrict who we are and go into the next year restricting ourselves and not allowing ourselves to reach those goals that we're setting for ourselves yeah thank you so much for joining me today you've been yeah.
1: absolutely incredible It was such a pleasure talking with you thank you so much